frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. I don't know. I mean, it's not like any of us could have done anything to stop it. So you just have to take it, don't you? You know, you can't regret because you don't have any say in it. That's just what life's like. Just, you know, you roll with the punches. Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio, the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday. I'm Lewis. And I'm Lewis. And we are here to talk about movies. <laughs> Each week, Brandon and I also pick in a film for us both to watch and discuss. Um, today, I picked the film The Eternal Daughter from 2022, the final part in the Souvenir Trilogy, directed by Joanna Hogg. Um, Brandon and I both loved the first two parts of this incredible trilogy, and we discussed them on episode 14 and 15 of this very show. So if you are wanting to go back and refresh your memory before listening to this episode, Go do it. I've just told you. It's 14 and 15. What are you waiting for? Um, this film, however, stars Tilda Swinton and Tilda Swinton in a dual performance, which I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about. Um, if you want to know what we're going to be watching next week, so you can get a head start, watch the film, and then come back and listen to us talk about it, um, wait till the end of the show. Hold your horses. Brandon will be telling us at the end when we've wrapped everything up. I'm excited to know what he's picked. Um, but before we get into the film and other films that we have watched, we'd like to say thank you to everyone who has been listening to the podcast and sending their love for the show. If you really want to help us out, here's what you got to do, kids. Go to Spotify, like us, listen to us, um, subscribe to us, all that good stuff over there. Because um, as mentioned last week, we are now being hosted by Spotify um, and it helps grow the show, puts it in other people's feeds and then has a chance for us to make a little bit of money off it in the future so that we can do some bigger and better stuff for y'all. Um, that's the plan. So if you can, Spotify is the place to go. If not, hey, we're everywhere. We're on every podcast platform. We're on YouTube. We're on TikTok. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. All at Film Church Radio. So you can go and check us all out. Um, like, subscribe, love it, heart it thumbs up, whatever. They're all different. They're all the same. It all helps us get out there. Um, we'd really appreciate it. Um, we have all of our episodes back streaming as well. So if you do want to go and listen to 14 and 15, they're there. They're out there in the universe. You can do it. Um, we'd love for you to check it all out. Um, but before we discuss the main film, The Eternal Daughter from 2022, as a reminder, we're going to get to our hymn section this is new and improved where we're going to, I mean, the only thing that's improved is the name, um, but we're going to sing the praises <laughs> eh, eh, of other films that we've watched this past week. Um, so Brandon, what have you been watching this past week? What films do you want to sing the praises of? Uh, praises. <laughs> is... <laughs> yeah, I saw the first one on the list. <laughs> Praises is a strong word. Well, second episode uh, in and we've hit a roadblock. We'll, maybe this doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, I can still sing praises of films that are a low rating yeah. in my uh, in my letterboxed 
ratings. Um, <laughs> but I I watched a few films, Lewis. Um, cool. <laughs> one being F Nine: The Fast Saga, <laughs> aka Fine, aka uh, The Fast and the Furious Nine. Um, <laughs> it uh, you know, I also okay. I I rated it one and a half stars. Okay. Yeah. I know people love these movies. There's some of these movies that I love as well. I mean, F five is a fucking blast. I like yeah. that movie a lot. Um, F nine. I I I mean, I'll watch it again at some point. This was I I'm late. I mean, it came out a couple of years ago. I'm late to it, and uh, I fell asleep in parts of it. I'll admit, you know, I I, yeah. I couldn't devote my whole attention <laughs> to it. Uh, I tried to wake up in the parts with dialogue so I could pay attention to the story. <laughs> I, I told that to my brother-in-law, and he was like, "What?" He's like, "That's backwards. You should have woken up for the action scene. Yeah. Like, that's what those movies are for." I was like, "Yeah, I guess that's true." Yeah. Um, it's a very bizarre movie. It's like it, it like. I mean, it's the ninth movie, obviously, and like the story factor is is so bizarre because it's like you get all the way to the ninth movie and there's like, oh, here's this character that means the world to our main characters, but you've never heard of them before and they haven't yeah. been in any of the other movies. Um, that So that part of it is like very much a stretch. I mean... <laughs> It's Fast and the Furious. All yeah. of it is a stretch. <laughs> so, yeah. But um they're still fun, you know. It's good it's good entertainment for the most part. But, you know, I I do need to watch it again just to kind of give it a real um chance. Yeah. <laughs> um and I will watch number ten as well, you know. I'm yeah. I'm I'm into these movies for the most part, but it's just it's starting to wear on me a little bit, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't done a like a, a watch of them. I think I've seen the first three, maybe four. So yeah. before they start getting crazy, and then I saw Hobbs and Shaw when it was in cinema. So oh wow, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a weird joke. yeah. But hey, <laughs> um, I don't really have too much interest in it. I feel like I know what it's about. So yeah, but I feel like point. Fast Five is the sweet spot because yeah. it. It's like okay, let's start getting a little crazier, mm. um, but also it's still a little more grounded. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, but that's just me. <laughs> uh, and then I watched the Newsies, uh, mm. the musical from ninety something, early nineties with Christian Bale. Um, been talking about musicals lately with uh, my sister and um, and then my girlfriend Sarah. Uh, and it was one that my sister had had watched when she was younger, and I had missed it somehow. Um, and it was pretty good. I gave it three. It's like it for me musicals. I do like musicals, but it's like if I didn't grow up watching them, it's hard for me to like really like a new musical. Yeah, I did really like La La Land. I was into that, but um, I don't know. It's just like it was good. It was a decent musical, but I I feel like if I had watched it a few times as a kid, I would have really loved it now. Yeah. Um, and Christian Bale's good in it. He's really young. It's also got uh, Robert Duvall in it and yeah. Bill Pullman. Um, That's cool. 
they're all great. So yeah, I mean, I might watch it again at some point. I don't know. It's yeah. like I I feel like if I'm gonna go back and watch another musical, it'll be one that I grew up watching. Yeah, that I'm you know that I can just like. I don't know. I like it. It's fun to watch a musical that you've seen a bunch of times. Yeah, it it's like is a party. Yeah, I feel <laughs> like I'm um, getting close to rewatching Oliver again. I feel oh, like yeah. we talked about this a little bit when you watched Annie, and just like we seem to just have that on VHS for some reason when I was a kid. Yeah. So I watched it like all the time. Um, I love Annie. Yeah, I know, and like Oliver I've got it on VHS and Blu-ray. Here we go. <laughs> Flexing those muscles. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like I'm going to probably watch Oliver at some point again soon. Yeah. I love um, I, I feel like I've seen it at least once, but I might have to yeah. I might have to rewatch that one. Um, but yeah, then I watched Nightmare Cinema from 2018. Uh, I think it was on Tubi or something. Yeah. Um, I only gave it two stars, but if you're a horror fan, just wait a second, because um, <laughs> there it, there is a lot here to love. Uh, it is an ensemble movie. It is a what do you call it? Uh, like creep show. It's like a, mm, like vignettes and yeah, vignettes. Yeah. Um, there's another word for it. Episodic. It. Epi- yeah, something like is that. Is that episodic? I don't. Know. There's the, there is a word I can't think of it, uh, but. It uh so yeah it's got like five different directors directing different segments. Um, the concept is really cool because it's uh these people different people go into this movie theater and then they're shown their deepest fears. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and then yeah. like there's a projectionist that's like a part of the mm. whole overarching story. Um, and the projectionist is Mickey Rourke. Uh, and. You know, at first when the movie started, I thought this was like, because you don't see Mickey Rourke until a little while into the movie. So when it, you know, the first like 20 or so minutes, I really thought this was like a $10,000 low budget movie Yeah. based on what I was watching. Uh, Come to find out this was, I actually don't know what the budget was, but the fact that Mickey Rourke is in it and finding out that this film, like some of the, the directors are pretty big horror directors, um, and this film was released in cinemas in 2018. So those factors alone, I'm like, okay, this had to be a couple of million dollars. Yeah. Maybe maybe one million at the at the least. Um, but still, I was like, man, there, this is, there's still something missing. Like sometimes, I mean, there's a reason that a lot of people feel like these movies don't work. And I think it's because there's not an overall vision. That, yeah to kind of hold it all together. Plus like if this movie was made in the eighties, it would probably be amazing. Like if it was shot on film and had that look like, I mean, creep show, I like creep show a lot, but like the aesthetic goes a long way yeah, it does. with those movies. Yeah. Um, and so to have like this kind of cleaner, pristine version, which there's a lot of cool stuff in it. There's a lot of cool shots. There's a lot of cool filmmaking stuff. Um, and that stuff is really cool, but it, you know, it's still a story. Like the story still has to work for me. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, the stories weren't working for me, but there is a lot of love out there for this movie, especially amongst horror fans. So if you're a horror fan and you love nightmare cinema, please send me a message on one of the film church radio channels and tell me what you love about this movie 
and convince me to rewatch it. I need a reason to rewatch it. And and uh, the poster is freaking cool. It's got like the devil on it, and he's got like some film in his hand. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of kind of badass. But um, yeah, so that was Nightmare Cinema. Uh, <laughs> and then I watched The Wizard of Loneliness. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like a tenacious D song. It kind of does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you does that sound familiar to you? Uh, yeah, I've heard it's the Wizard of Loneliness. It, it's an insult in a film, right? Someone's like, "You're the Wizard of Loneliness." It's, it's Nathan for you. Yeah, it's in yeah. Nathan for you. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's one of the episodes <laughs> of Nathan for you, and it's like the guy who. Yeah. Um, the private eye. Yeah, it's the private eye. <laughs> and it's like one of the second times that he brings him back or whatever. Yeah. And he's like making fun of Nathan. He's like, you're like the wizard of loneliness. And it's such a bizarre insult that like Sarah and I kind of say that to each other sometimes yeah. <laughs> just because it's so funny. Uh, and then we were just like, you know, browsing films on Prime, I think. And... <laughs> And the Wizard of Loneliness was there. I was like, oh my God, it's a movie from the 80s. Um, we have to watch it. So I put it on and uh, it's pretty great, honestly. Like, wow, that's awesome. I only, well, I only gave it three stars, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I might actually revisit this movie. Um, who is in it? It's I got... want you to just remember that sentiment when we get to the films that I've watched. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's got Lee Thompson in it. Yeah. Or Leah. Is it Leah Thompson? She plays the mom on the, in the Back to the Future trilogy. Okay. She's in it. Um, I'm trying to find the right actor. The way that Letterboxd lays this out is not, it's not as easy to, to see who the actor is. But Dylan Baker is also in it, and he okay. plays um, <clears throat> Dr. Connors in Spider-Man 2 and 3. Yeah. Um, he's also in it. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of, a, it's like about this kid whose mother dies in the beginning, and he's like, he's kind of like an adult kid. You know, he's like 10, but he like acts like an adult. He's like, I'm in no mood to talk to anyone right now. <laughs> That's like one of his lines. Um, and I, you can kind of immediately see why this guy called Nathan Fielder that in the, in the show, because it's like, oh, he's kind of like this, you know, just yeah. like bizarre child. <laughs> and the way that it's shot, I really like the way that it's shot. It's, it's, uh, it's like four by three, you know, it's like the letterbox, yeah. uh, square and but like every image looks like an instagram photo that's cool yeah and this is from the 80s it's a very atmospheric like it, i'm pretty sure this was a tv movie you know okay. based on yeah. on my experience of watching it and the fact that i've never heard of this before but um but it was like the filmmaking part of it was done really well and the story was it was i mean it was good i might actually revisit this movie it's just like a weird um i don't know there's just so many movies like this that i feel like got lost to the ether yeah it just like you know ha i don't know it's like how did they get the budget for this and market it and you know just yeah. like have have stuff to put out there 
I mean, I guess it's still done today. Yeah. But I think I appreciate movies, like older movies like this more, you know? Mm-hmm. Again, for the same reason that I was talking about Nightmare Cinema, just like that it's shot on film and it looks more like a movie to me mm-hmm. than than like a, a newer low-budget movie, I guess, these days. I don't know. Yeah. It's worth a watch, for sure. Okay, cool. But anyway, so... After that, we watched Tetris, the new Apple TV Plus movie. What's the actor's name? Uh, Taron Egerton. Yes, Taron Egerton. Egerton, however you say it. <laughs> Who is amazing? I mean, he's a he's yeah. such a good actor. Um, and it's weird because it's like the the whole movie is really. I mean, yeah, it's the eighties. Yeah, it's about like cool vintage video games. Um, but it's really at the core of it, it's about it's just a, like a movie about a business transaction. Yeah. <laughs> but it's done really really well. It's like yeah. um it, it, me and Jason Woods were actually talking about this the other day. It was like it's so crazy that they can that filmmakers can make business looks so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's a it's a really great watch. Um, it was fun. That's awesome. And that's it. I gave it four out of five. Fan, that that good. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, I've been watching some stuff as well. Um, I watched Rye Lane from twenty twenty three. Um, nice. Directed by Rain Alan Miller, um, it is a British comedy um, rom com, really, which we haven't seen a lot of recently. I don't think like a proper good rom com, and it's like a mashup between Notting Hill and Before Sunset. Um, okay. So. Oh yeah, I think I did see the trailer for this. It looked really good. Yeah, it is superb. I had a really good time with it. It's kind of like throughout a full day of these two characters kind of meeting and getting to know each other. Um, and it's just, it's funny. The, it's like, it's just full of energy and like the, the, um, the camera work is, it's so edgy and different and new. Um, and you know, it's just, it's just like an hour and a half of just fun, you know? And I don't, I don't feel like we get that enough in cinema at the moment. Yeah, where you can just—it's always it. about something deep or something yeah. like political or like. Yeah, exactly, and it's just—it's just really, really fun. Which is all I can say. There's like some re- there's really good jokes in there. There's you know it never feels because I feel I was a bit hesitant, especially with it being like throughout a whole day. I was like, there's going to be parts where it starts to like suffer, and you know it's kind of reaching a little dramatically to get to the next point, but it never really feels like that. It just feels like two people like hanging out all day, and we're with them. Um, nice, great performances um, from the two lead actors, um, and yeah, it's just really exciting. I mean, I think the British cinema as a whole is just in the last year, especially, has put out some really, really great things. Yeah, um, so I am loving watching it. So, and it's on Hulu; it's streaming for free. Oh, if sweet! You're a Hulu I will check it out very soon. Then, yeah. Go and do it. It's a lot of fun. I want to watch it again soon because it's just, it's great. Um, And then I watched 
Blue Steel, um, the uh, Catherine Bigelow film starring... Um, Ooh. Yeah, starring, um, oh my gosh, Jamie Lee Curtis, um, who, you know, we love. <laughs> yes. So this had been yeah. on like my to-watch list since we watched Point Break. Yeah, I was wondering, yeah, because... Like we both, when we watched Point Break, it was like, man, Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. Why are people not talking about her more? Yeah. And so I'd added it to my watch list. And then one, I think it was like a Tuesday, I just got notified, like, hey, Blue Steel's now on Prime. And I was like, oh, sweet. I'd forgotten about that. So I like instantly put it on, you know, watched it all the way through. Um, and it it's, it's a really fun, I, I'm saying that word a lot at the moment. It's a really entertaining, like, 80s 90s action movie um yeah with a female lead um and i think it's it's saying a lot about like the fetishism of weapons and guns ah. which is um which is very still very relevant to nowadays yeah. mm-hmm. um it's got like a really great bad guy you know it's kind of it reminded me of, i mean i know you know she's um she was married to James Cameron and stuff so there's you know, it reminded me a lot of like the terminator films in certain yeah. aspects um but Catherine Bigelow was mhm okay yeah yeah but it's uh yeah it's it's really great if you're looking for just like a fun kind of shoot 'em up <laughs> like cop yeah. thriller you know well it's i mean it's it's an yeah it's an action movie it's yeah. entertaining yeah exactly yeah, exactly. You know kind of where it's going to go in the end. Um, but there's some really fun like twists and turns along the way and some great set pieces. So, yeah, Blue Steel. I gave it 3.5 out of 5. Nice. And the last film I'm going to talk about is a film that I feel um, I need to explain myself a little bit to you. Um, okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> here we go. So, I... I finally watch clerks three yay yeah i did it i did it um and i gave it three out of five and i know that you really really loved it so i'm gonna you know i'm not gonna like i don't know i didn't hate it and i and i I really enjoyed it um i was very nervous about going into this film after um jay and silent bob reboot because i really didn't like it yeah. I didn't think it was that funny. Didn't like I'm not a huge fan of Jane Silent Bob anyway. Yeah. Like Just you love general. clerks. Yeah. I love Jason. You like Amy. Kevin Smith. Yeah. 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 I was a bit worried now that we are like that maybe he was a little out of ideas. Yeah. Um after Jane Silent Bob reboot. So I've been a bit trepidatious about watching Clerks 3. But eventually I was like, here we go. I'm going to watch it. I want to see what it's like. Um, the My big, big positives. I love where he goes with the characters. Yeah. I, I just love it. I think that it every the way that this film ends feels perfect. Yeah. Um, it's not same old, same old. He's like, let me. No, where do they exactly. go? Where do and they I, go? Exactly. And I think that that's exactly where my kind of an, like an, not annoyance, but like where it lost me a little bit was when we, you know, the filmmaking started in the film, 
And it was a lot of like, okay, we know Kevin Smith and we know he had a heart attack. We know that that kind of rejuvenated his career a little bit in terms of what he wanted to do. There were yeah. so many in-jokes about like the original making of Clerks that I was like, okay, it's just, it's like a documentary, but acted out. You know, that's, and yeah. that's how it's kind of starting to feel. But then that final third, I was like, okay, he's, this is actually saying something quite beautiful. Yeah. Um, I don't think that he... I think there's too much going on to stick it all. That's my only thing. I think, you know, the, the, I know that we need, like, a structure to get to these, these points, but the making a film in the quick stop just didn't feel like it for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether that's just because I've been so... I've been such a fan of Clerks that it feels weird watching them well, let me so ask you self-reference this. all the time. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you this. When is the last time you watched Clerks 1, and when is the last time you watched Clerks 2? It's been a while. Yeah. All right. So here's what you should do. Okay. <laughs> the next time you have several hours in your day, <laughs> which might be a while, <laughs> uh, watch all three back-to-back. Okay. And you will have a completely different experience. Yeah. Because the weird thing is, it's like, I don't know. It's like Kevin, he likes to, he likes to like, there's a thread in all of his movies. You can watch, you know, all of his movies kind of back to back and, and there's a a thread through all of them. Um, But specifically with the Clerks movies, he, he's doing something different. He's doing Mm. like a different thread where um, all the other movies he made don't really matter. Yeah. In consideration of those three. Yeah. Um, Because they're about Dante and Randall. Yeah. You know? And yeah, Jay and Silent Bob are there and like other characters there, but like it's about Dante and Randall. Yeah. And their friendship and all that stuff. Um, So... And and that's what that's what I did. I watched Clerks one and two, and then went and saw Clerks three in the cinema, and obviously that heightened my experience. Yeah, as well. of course. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's weird because some of the character, like he he brings back people in all of his movies, and sometimes you know, like Ben Affleck or Jason Lee, like he brings them back in a bunch of his different movies, and sometimes they're playing different characters. They're not yeah. always the same character. Yeah. Um, so, like, his whole universe, you really have to be a deep fan to keep track of which character is which. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, so specifically with the Clerks movies, I think it's best to watch them in yeah. order without without bringing in all the, yeah. the other... Uh, knowledge and move knowledge and and universe that you know of him yeah kevin smith and like yeah you just kind of have to like enjoy the clerks movies as a trilogy yeah and i think that they are heightened above kind of the other stuff you know I, I, i don't know there's a lot of really good stuff in like in his filmography but there's also a lot of stuff that i don't care for and i think that's the problem is that for me it just kind of flip flops too much in terms of like my mm. my personal taste, you know? Yeah. Um, but I will say that after Jane Silent Bob reboot, I was not excited for what was coming next, but now I am. Yeah. Because I know that if he carries on in this vein, if you know, 
they the studio give him the the space and time and money to do what he you know how he wants to do it then then it's going to be good you know we know Kevin Smith we know he's got a big heart so like lean into that let's you know let's have more of it yeah um, yeah it, it, i don't want it to sound like i didn't like cuz i i did like it um i just it you know it's um there was just a few issues that i had with it i felt that you know not to get really into it again but some of the the editing felt a little little lax you know you could tell that characters were just kind of saying their line and then it would cut and a character would say their line it didn't feel like it was too connected but again yeah. this is these are just like little things that kind of you know that you notice but yeah um it's good mm-hmm. cool yeah and that is all the films that i've watched this week um so now it's time to move on to our main sermon the eternal daughter from 2022 the letterbox summary says an an exquisite ghost story an artist and her elderly mother confront long buried secrets when they return to a former family home now a hotel haunted by its mysterious past the souvenir part three (laughs) but not yeah so i'd seen this film before i'd watched it as soon as it came available to rent um being a huge fan of the last two as i know you are um yeah and really you know been looking forward to an excuse to talk about it with you so how did you what were your initial impressions of the eternal door <laughs> yeah man i mean obviously i was hyped for this movie yeah you know the souvenir one and two i've liked a lot yeah i mean I really enjoyed those movies a lot. And when you told me that this movie was, I mean, when I found like, I found out from you that this movie existed. uh, And by the time that you had found out and told me about it, it was already done. Like the movie was out. I mean, it wasn't out, out. It was like at festivals and stuff, but it was done. And it was like, holy shit. Like that was fast. And, where did this come from? And also what is it like? It's a, it's a movie about, um, the same character and she's older and it's like a ghost story about her mother and what, you know, it just seems so different, you know, but it was like souvenir one and two were so good. It was like, you know, I was on board no matter what, you know, Joanna Hogg is incredible. Yeah. Um, so when the move, you know, it, I didn't know what to expect exactly, but I I figured it would be good. And, you know, within the first, like, 10 minutes or so, it took me a little bit to settle into it because I, I didn't, you know, it's 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 a separate movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the, about the same characters, yeah. but it's 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 a separate movie completely. Um, you don't really need to see Souvenir 1 and 2 to watch this. No. And um, it took it also took me a little bit to settle into it because Tilda Swinton is playing two characters. Yeah, and uh, I think there's a lot of um, built in. 
I don't want to say bias, but like the way that my brain associates people playing two characters mm. in the same movie or or more than one character in the same movie is always related to comedy. Always. Yeah. I can't think of another movie besides The Eternal Daughter where it's taken seriously. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it took me a minute to to like uh just not be ready for uh, the punchline. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like, you know, yeah. And 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 I was kind of paying attention to the filmmaking too much in the beginning. Like, oh, they're not in the same shot. Oh, look, yeah, how did they yeah. do that? Oh, you know. Um but before I knew it, I completely forgot. Before I knew it, it was like yeah, it was totally different. Plus it was like I mean, Tilda Swinton's performance as um Julie <laughs> is so good yeah it's almost too good the first yeah. time you watch it because you because i mean i mean she's one of the greatest actresses alive today i would say mm-hmm. like it's 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 so good that like when you first watch it after watching souvenir one and two you're like man this is a great impression <laughs> you know but yeah. uh you know, I kind of just, it, it, so it took, you know, it took a, a, a good 10 to 20 minutes before those kind of like thoughts kind of washed away. Yeah. And I wasn't thinking about the movie anymore. I was just watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I had so many different thoughts watching it the first time. Um, I watched it twice so far, but the first time it was like, I don't know. It was it almost like I it's it's almost like after those kind of thoughts went away, I just started to float through the movie. Yeah. Uh and before I knew it it was over. Yeah. Um and it felt like I had watched a short film. Mhm. That somehow was an hour and a half long. Yeah. Um the uh the hotel clerk character, what's what's the actress's name? Carly Sophia Davis. Yeah, she, man, like, <laughs> she did such a good job of being a unlikable hotel clerk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty incredible. Um, and obviously we're going to get into spoilers. Uh, yeah. But once, once it got to the scene where she sings her mother happy birthday and brings her the cake and blows out the candle. The weight that I felt in that cut yeah, was incredible. Like it was like the whole entire movie changes at that moment. Um, because you realize that she's lost her mother and you don't have any sense of time anymore. Hmm. You start rethinking the entire film. You're like, was she gone the whole time? Did she yeah. just did she die while she was there? Was are we seeing different um, periods that she visited this hotel? Um, and I think, well, first of all, Joanna Hogg is one of the most interesting filmmakers alive today. 
yeah. like her filmmaking process, I don't know anyone else that, that works like her. Um, and there might be other people out there, but it is so interesting. And we'll get into that in a minute. But she captures something here that I I don't think I've ever quite seen expressed in a film before. This kind of view on uh, on death and and motherhood and yeah. and being a daughter and obviously like you know I'm I'm not a daughter I'm a son but like there is um and and maybe it's it's because there's so many more male theme, male filmmakers that get chances to make uh films that there's not more films like this or maybe it's that it's maybe it's just me that hasn't like um explored other films enough uh, or films by um female directors but she captures something here that I've I've just never seen expressed like this before and it really reminded me like the there's like the shots of uh her mother when she's when she looks really old and she's laying in bed and she like hold it. There's, there's hints to it throughout the movie where she's holding her hand, but then towards the end, you actually get the shots of her laying in bed and she looks really old and the makeup is absolutely freaking amazing. I don't know. I don't understand how people do that. Yeah. <laughs> how do yeah. they make it look so real? Um, yeah. I thought similar when we see shots of her hands as Rosalind, mm-hmm. Because yeah. the hands are so, they, you know, they just look like an old person's. And it's not yeah. something that you can, I didn't you think you could fake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. In- absolutely incredible. But, like, it reminded me of um, when I was, like, five years old. It was actually my fifth birthday. And my great-grandmother was very old. And she was staying with my grandmother. And we had my my birthday party at my grandmother's house so she was staying with my grandmother but she just stayed in bed all the time and uh so when it came time for me to like open my presents we like went in her bedroom and opened them in there so she could like be a part of it um yeah and it just reminded me it just reminded me of that it just reminded me of like i don't know because i just like Obviously, it, it's a completely different experience and was a completely different experience for my grandmother who was taking care of her mother. But um, it just felt so true to something real, like yeah. this movie, yeah. you know? Um, and I think that's that's one of the incredible things that Joanna Hogg is, has been able to do so well with all three of these films is like, is capture something beyond art. You know, she's, she's creating something that's more of a, a literal, a literal like journal. You know, it's, it's like when you go, like, it's like, it was, it's like finding, uh, an old relative's journals and reading them and being like, oh, this is crazy. And then like, I feel like I understand them more. It's like, it's, it's, um, it's not a movie. It's not art. It's like a journal. Yeah. You know, it's, it captured something actually real, you know? Um, 
but somehow still is a film. It's somehow not a documentary. It somehow still is art, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, uh, I, I don't know, man. It's, it's so interesting. It is. Yeah, it's, um, it's a phenomenal piece of work. I think it's an absolute genius stroke to, to change it to this gothic kind of ghost story. Because when that um when that bait and switch does happen, when the rug's pulled from under your feet, you totally buy it because of the atmosphere that's been created throughout the whole film. It doesn't feel like it's unearned, you know, and it, it just it fits within the the story. But there's also those those themes that, like you said, are still running through the whole trilogy. There's the film there's the themes of loss themes of doing somebody justice, whether, you know, they would, what would, what would they think of your portrayal of them if they had lived? You know, we, that the souvenir part two was all about doing justice to somebody's memory. And did you really know them, you know, and this is kind of, it's for someone that you knew so well, how do you do them justice? You know, how do you make sure that you get that across that they're not, you know, um, and make sure that, it's still the person that you're that you were close to um i th- i th- the first time i watched it like all these feelings kind of blew over me the second time there was there was a lot of things that i was looking for the first was like whether it was obvious that she that the rosalind wasn't there the whole time um because i don't know about you but the first time i saw it when i had no idea yeah, I, I didn't see it coming at all. I really didn't either. Honestly. Yeah. So when it happens, I was like, "Oh my god, um, this is incredible." Wait, well, it also like yeah, is not to interrupt you, but like it 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 just changed your whole perspective. Even the point of like the the hotel clerk, it was like, oh, she was she being rude the whole time, yeah. or was it or was it that Joanna or not Joanna but Julie was being so weird about everything yeah because when you watch it yeah when you watch it the second time knowing you're like okay this uh, you know she it, it is maybe this weird. is like her fifth yeah. time coming back without her mother to try to recreate it or whatever yeah i think there's a few clues in there as to kind of like when this is taking place and what's happening i think when she arrives and she talks about the room that she's booked and they say oh it's a ground floor with wheelchair access and she's like no 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 it's like the first floor I think that this was booked before her mother passed away to bring her mother, who was obviously like wheelchair bound at the time, up to yeah. like this old house. So I think that that switch, like I think that it was booked as a bonnet, like a ground floor room with a wheelchair access. And then this switch, she's like, that isn't, you know, it's kind of all a little bit in Julie's head. Um, yeah. My other theory is that Bill is also dead. Mm. the groundskeeper that because bill is the only person that rosalind has a conversation with that isn't julie right yeah and there's a whole scene where they're talking together julie and bill and he says something about like i lost my wife which he never says his wife died i don't think just that he lost her so you know it could be the other way 
and that he kind of stays around the house and like he's like not like I play the flute at night because you never heard it in real life or something like that there's all these like little things um and at the end like nobody really seems to pay attention to him when he like shows her out yeah so I don't so I think that Bill is dead <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah. you know obviously Rosalind and I think that it's you know on the outside, it's just Julie and the hotel receptionist in the house. Yeah. For the most time. Yeah. It's, I mean, I should, I, I, I think I trust Joanna Hogg now with my life. I think that <laughs> I was so skeptical going in, just thinking like the souvenir part one and two are so perfect. I don't know that you need this. Especially yeah. with such a change in genre, change in theme, you know, not having um, having Tilda Swinton play Julie, which I do want anyone who's listening, if you can think of another example where a real-life mother and daughter have played, or father and son have played the younger version and older version of a character, please let me know. Because I think that this is, you know, I don't think I've seen this that much at all. Um. But yeah, I think that I was a bit skeptical, but it's just, it's... Well, it's, it also, it, it adds, like, the fact that she plays both characters adds a layer to the the philosophical yeah. aspect of it, of, like, you know, of, of, like, are we just copies of our parents? Yeah. Um. Because, yeah, there's a lot of shots through mirrors as well. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask, because she does that a lot in the Souvenir movies as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, what is that all about, you think? Just, I think it's it it's just like that reflection, isn't it? It's what you see on the outside and kind of, like, who are you, like, who are you kind of projecting out, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, because when, again, when you go back and watch and you know what's happened, there's a scene where I think she's just taking Louis out and she comes back up to the room um, and her, her, Rosalind's in bed like, and she's opening a pill box and taking her pills and it cuts and we see Julie in like, the mirror and it's shot through the mirror and she's kind of just sitting there on the bed. And the first time you watch it, you think she's just watching her kind of get ready for sleep. But the second time, it's so sad. It's just yeah. like she's just like looking at the space that her mother used to be in, you know. Yeah. Um, and it it does change on that second watch, you know, from the first where you're like, "What's going on?" It's not creepy enough to be like a ghost story, and it's not yeah. like I don't know where it's going narratively. Yeah. You know, but then when you you know what's happening the second time round, it's it feels even more removed from a ghost story. Hmm. You know, it's just like, it's another story about loss and grief, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. Yeah. Um, it's crazy that, uh, I mean, that. well, th- this was a story that uh, Joanna Hogg had wanted to make for years, but then kind of just put it down because she wasn't yeah. sure how to. Yeah. And then after making the souvenir movies was kind of starting to think about it again. And in the, when, you know, after the souvenir movie, she was she wasn't exactly thinking that this would be the same characters from the souvenir, but it's like when she started talking to Tilda Swinton about it, um, 
that's kind of just what it started to become. Mm. And because they had, I think because they had, well, I don't just think they, I mean, they say this in their interviews. They had such a good time seeing the, the Rosalind character come to life, the character of Julie's mother in the souvenir. Yeah. That, uh, it it kind of made sense to just make it that character. Um, but then yeah. when they started, you know, really thinking about it, it was like, okay, well, Tilda Swinton was going to play Julie instead, yeah. and they were going to find an older actress to play Rosalind. And then Tilda Swinton was like, well, what if I just play both? Mm-hmm. Um, and immediately Joanna Hogg had to start thinking about well, one, she was like, that's a great idea. Yeah. But two, how is that going to work with my filmmaking style? And her filmmaking style is one of the reasons I'm I'm saying that she is one of the most interesting filmmakers around today because, holy crap, I don't know how she does it and just yeah. like sticks the landing constantly. Yeah. she It's all improv. There's no dialogue written. She create like the way they described it in their Q and A was that she creates a scaffolding basically yeah. of the story. She has like thirty pages of like a treatment kind of like ideas. Yeah, but then when they shoot, it's all just open, free form, go with the flow, improv-y kind of stuff. Which is really cool, and obviously the with like the souvenir one and two came out amazing. Yeah, but with this movie, it's it's one actress playing these two characters, and that's the whole movie basically. There's a yeah. few other characters, but like, how do you go about coming up with scenes when your character, when your actress is constantly having to? get up and change character and switch it around. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just, it goes to show the absolute brilliance of the collaboration of Tilda yeah. Swinton and Joanna Hogg. I mean, nobody else could do this. No, no, I don't No, I agree completely. I think that it just takes ultimate trust from both parties to like jump into this, you know? Yeah. And, and also, like we know that Tilda Swinton and Joanna Hogg like, have known each other for a long time and been very close. Um, and it takes, I think, for something that is autobiographical, again, in a way, and something that really does um, does show Joanna Hogg's kind of inner thoughts and worries, you have to really know her to get that right in terms of the yeah. performance. Especially if it's like unscripted, you know, you have to know how to... how she would have interacted like what would have, you know, set her off. What would, you know, she be doing or be saying at certain points. Um, there's an absolutely beautiful scene, um, where, she, where Rosalind is talking to Bill, um, and Julie overhears and Rosalind is talking about her, how she'd never been a mother, but she, she was like, Oh, I know she would have been a wonderful mother. No, she is a wonderful mother. She's looked after like me and other people. Oh my god! Uh, I just I can't even like it's just absolutely like beautiful. Yeah, you know it's such a wonderful moment, and it's not even like a big showy piece. You know, it's kind of just like a two three minute scene, and then we move on. Um, 
But I mean, just it's the whole thing is just full of these like really beautiful moments um, between mother and daughter, and also just you know wanting to hold on to her for as long as possible. Yeah, you know, um, trying not to remember her as like the bedridden, you know, that she is in the in the towards the end of the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, I mean, it's just it. The the more I think about it, the more and more it's it feels less of a ghost story, and I feel that's just like a framing device to make it work. You know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's got. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing. I I kept feeling. I kept I kept getting the shining vibes. A lot of the shining vibes, and I know that Joanna Hogg is a fan of Kubrick. I mean, I feel like. You have to be to be a filmmaker, yeah. but I mean, also, I, I, I'm pretty sure she, her, and, and Scorsese were talking about Kubrick in their interview together, mm. and um, yeah, just it, just the fact that there's like all these the all these vibes from The Shining, and then you she's she does the zooms too, yeah. Um, where was I going with that? Uh, about ghost stories. Yeah, I mean it's it's just crazy to me that like um that she as a <laughs> I guess just the 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 complete flip of filmmaking styles of like between Kubrick and Joanna Hogg it's like Kubrick the the guy who had yeah. you know massive screenplays in every detail down you know yeah just incredibly meticulous to Joanna Hogg, who doesn't have that, and yeah, and yeah. Do, that's not how she works. She's you know she's creating, yeah. creating the movie is when they're shooting it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's just so it's just so crazy. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so cool to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's awesome. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I love like it's full of memories, uh, you know, of of her mother and just those little touches like the the carrier bag of books that she kind of has that she takes yeah. out of her case and kind of carries around and you know obviously the pillbox that she has with her and oh it's just you know you can just tell um, that these are touches that just you know really bring the character through that dimension it, it becomes less of a character more of a real person. You know, yeah. throughout, um, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I just, I really felt like the film was. There's so much you can get out of it, uh, on yeah. multiple watches. Yeah. Um, there's layers to it that you'll see on yeah. on rewatches, and and like you said, there's a lot of different clues and stuff. I, I yeah I feel like this movie I I feel like this movie is just just gonna age really well especially for me because um, I don't know I felt really I I mean we're in our early thirties so like we're much closer to the characters uh, that are in in the forefront in the souvenir than yeah. we are to like um, people in their their aging years where they're you know thinking yeah. more about death. Yeah. Um but that's that's all something we have to think about at some point, you know. Yeah. Um we all we kind of all go through the different uh trials and heel hills that you yeah. have to climb in life. 
Um, so I feel like this is definitely a movie that is going to be something that I kind of have to go back to in yeah. order to kind of like answer some questions or like realize some things I have to do and like, you know, um, yeah. Because like I said, it's, she, she captured something real that I think just, it's like therapy or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think it's saying a lot about how to pay respects to someone. Um, as I mentioned before, just the, the fact that she's making this about her mother, she, you know, the whole film, she's trying to start writing something about, you know, her and her mother's relationship. Um, but whenever she seems to, after when she starts writing it, whenever she seems to talk to her mother, they seem to have like, you know, the communication breaks down a little bit. They have an argument or there's something in, you know, they start talking about something that brings back a bad memory for a mother. And yeah. I just, it's, it's that whole thing of when you're, you know, you you try not to be biased and like not put someone on a pedestal, but it's also like, how do I show these bad qualities without, you know, making them seem like an awful person? Mm. You know, yeah. like when Rosalind is talking about when I assume that she lost a baby and then she was like, and I was horrible to him. I was horrible to your father. Like, you know, I treated him like, you know, dirt or whatever. And Julie's like, I'm sure he didn't, like, I'm sure he, he knew, you know, yeah, that you didn't understood. mean it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's kind of, you know, dealing with these, you know, issues of like, if I am going to write about this, like, how am I going to portray this? How am I going to get this across? You yeah. Know? Um, I, I, nobody is working like Joanna Hogg at the moment. Nobody's making these films. Um, I mean, this is as close, I think, as a to a perfect ending as you could get to a trilogy, in my eyes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, this movie. I mean, and like I said, like this, it it's it works great as a trilogy, but the Eternal Daughter is also an amazing standalone yeah. movie. Yeah, you it don't is. really have to have the other ones so much so that I'm like, I I, I need this physical copy. Like, where are the physical copies of this movie? Yeah, I need I need to buy like ten and send them to my grandmother's, yeah, my mother, my mother's, my mother and my mother in law. Yeah, um, I need to send it to all of them. Yeah, like, cause I want to know their thoughts on it. Yeah, you know, cause like. I I mean I got so much out of this movie. I can't imagine what they might get out of this movie, you know, because yeah. it represents more a lot more than just what I'm getting out of it. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um so I I really would love to know the thoughts of the women that are close to me. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's a film that really makes you think and you know, like you said there's there's other layers there for you know, for mothers and for daughters and for for women in general you know there's there's a lot in here that i don't think that we're gonna tap into necessarily yeah um but i mean as a piece of art as a film and as a piece of art it's some of the best around you know yeah um i really don't think this letterbox summary does it justice though i don't think that this is how you should sell this film (laughs) yeah um but 
is definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of the hook. It's trying to get people yeah. to watch it. Yeah. It's trying to get guys like us to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's not, that's not, yeah, that's not exactly what it is. But I think that's what it, I think that was the intention going into it maybe when they were trying to make it, you know, but it, yeah. it obviously became what it, what it needed to become. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that it wasn't all, you know, there was a few, there's a few kind of atmospheric, like, shots of like graveyards and fog rolling in and and there's the really um intense sense of isolation throughout the whole thing um but i think yeah it's just for the setting of that of when you realize that the mother isn't alive it makes sense you're yeah. like of course you know yeah that thematically in the world of this film that is exactly what should happen you know this this feels right yeah um yeah i love the characters that are portrayed i love the the class as well i love that it's kind of slightly upper class <laughs> people you know and their yeah. kind of side of it as well um the conversations between the two characters are just lyrical and perfect and just so real i mean well I can't. I can't talk about this film highly <laughs> enough. So, um, is this what England is really like? <laughs> <laughs> Just gray and foggy and yeah, spooky. Places. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that the most realistic portrayal of England is in that first ten minutes with the cab driver. It's like, yeah, I went up there with my wife, and we took a photo, and there's someone in the background. So I don't really go up there anymore. I'm like, okay, this feels like this is the kind of story that someone would tell you in a cab. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the, what do you think and, of those? Go ahead. And I was going to say that the hotel receptionist, for myself, I wasn't ever sure if she was being mean or just British. Uh. <laughs> because there's that definite kind of like, she's still doing it. She's still doing what they ask, but she's not like, yeah. you know, sure, I can do that. You know, it's just like, yeah. I'll see. You know? yeah. There's only four things on the menu. Yeah. I love it when she's just like, there's a bag on the floor. <laughs> yeah. And the way that they, the way that she frames her shots, you never can tell no, if no. her mother is there or not. Yeah. Cause you're like, I, I, and the way when she orders, the mm -hmm. way that when she orders food and the, and, Rosalind is just like, I'll have what she's having. And so she just repeats the order. Yeah. But you're like, did she just order it once though? I know. Yeah. And she's repeating Julia's order. Yeah. And I think that we get to on the birthday night, you know, when it all is revealed, we get to the point where it's like, okay, the charade is starting to like, like fall down around her a little bit. How the mother's like, oh, I'm not hungry. You know, I'm not going to order. Um, yeah. And Julia's like, well, if you're not going to order, I'm not going to order. And I think it just shows that she's ready to confront the fact that she's not actually there. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know where I was going to go with that. I, I made it sound it's, like I was going to continue my thought, <laughs> but I think that was it. <laughs> it's just brilliant. It is. The, yeah. These are movies, you know, Andy asked us when we did our Shining episode, 
I, I can't remember who was actually in this episode or if he asked us after the episode was over, he asked us if there's like any films we might return to yeah. on Film Church Radio. I feel like the Souvenir Trilogy, that that might be one, that might be a good episode to return to in like yeah. five or 10 years or I don't yeah, know. Yeah, definitely. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just rekindled my like need to go back and watch the other two Souvenir films. Yeah, I did rewatch the second one yeah. uh, last night just to kind of refresh my memory. And oh my God, it's so good, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I cannot get over how she made these movies. Like, how, how the fuck did Joanna Hogg do this? Like, <laughs> it just drives me crazy. Like, I geek out because I'm a filmmaker myself. I'm like, I just like, I don't know. The, I guess just the validation that, like, you don't like you can make a movie however the fuck you want to like yeah. your process is your process is your process like and, and i i have a sense that joanna hogg is such a good filmmaker because she watches so many movies yeah i mean she's friends with martin scorsese for christ's sakes yeah. like she watches a shitload of movies and and that's all you need yeah. You just need to watch a bunch of movies and understand the different languages. The process of making a movie can be whatever it needs to be. Yeah. I am I am praying that I know that a lot of times she's spoken about her love of like musicals and the classic Hollywood musicals. Mm. I'm like, somebody give her millions to make a musical. <laughs> please. <laughs> uh, please we saw yeah. like a like a bit of what would happen in souvenir part two where richard iode's character is directing oh yeah dude the, yeah when i yeah. watched that last night i was like i had that thought i was like yeah. man i, I want to see joanne hogg make that yeah. movie yeah where is that movie? give it to me yeah like please yeah well, whatever whoever is financing these films give her all the money to make a musical <laughs> Yeah. Please. Oh, man. So good. So good. Well, this is the part of the show where Brandon and I guessed what the other person rated it on Letterboxd. Now, because I did watch this before, before I knew, my rating is up. Um, yeah, I did see it, your rating. But has it changed? That's a good question. I feel like mm, probably. It, it probably did. I bet you it's five out of five now. Yeah, I think you're going to go for five as well. It is. I mean, for me, it's five out of five. I'm going to just say it right now. I, I think, you know, I think it is five out of five, honestly. Yeah. Uh, When I watched it yesterday, I think it was four. Yeah. But after watching it again today and talking about it, it is incredible, dude. This is it, yeah. The second, because I rated it four and a half the first time, and then when I went and rewatched it for this, there was so much in there that I was like, like picking out and just, you know, it was such a rewarding rewatch that I was like, I, I need to go back and watch it again. Yeah. You know, and to me, if I finish a film and immediately feel like I need to watch like press play again, it's a five star film. Yeah. Um, which I think makes this a perfect trilogy in my books. I think every, all three have been five stars for me. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, they're so good. Yeah, 
So. Absolutely incredible. If anybody knows where I can get Joanna Hogg's like 30 page scaffolding <laughs> <laughs> for these films, yeah. tell me. I yeah. want to read, I want to know what she had on paper compared to what the final film was because it's so interesting to me, her yeah. process. Yeah. My ideal day would be to go to a country manor like this with Joanna Hogg and just watch her favorite films. <laughs> a Joanna Hogg film festival. Yeah, that's right. Go the whole hog. That's what you could call it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> what are we going to be watching next week, Brandon? Okay, so next week we're going to be watching a film that I have needed to watch for like over 10 years. Wow. Uh, a friend of mine told me to watch, a friend that I like grew like that I've known since I was a kid, that I made yeah. movies with when I was a kid. Ben, if you're out there, I'm talking about you. Um, What's told up, me to watch this movie like 10 years ago, and I haven't. And then uh, when I started working at Alamo Draft House, my trainer asked me if I'd ever seen this film. I was like, no, but like my friend told me to watch it like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then like every time I saw him after that, he's like, have you watched it yet? And I was like, no, I will. Um, so I kept feeling bad about it. Uh, <laughs> but we're finally going to watch it for Film Church Radio. And the movie is The Holy Mountain from 1973, directed by Alejandro Jodorowsky. Awesome. I'm glad you're hosting next week. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look up how to pronounce his name before next week. Perfect. <laughs> cool. Never heard of it. Looking forward to seeing it. That poster on Letterboxd is quite something. So, yeah. Sweet. I think it's going to be an interesting watch. Yeah. Looking forward to it. That'll be next week. So, you can go ahead and watch along with us. Tune in next week and see what we thought about it. If you want to send us any thoughts on the film, prior to um, us putting it out there uh, please do and um, we'd love to hear what you think and maybe include it in the show at some point um, some listener communion um, but yeah up until that point if you want to do that you can find us on Twitter Facebook Instagram at Film Church Radio um, also up on YouTube and TikTok of course and you can follow us individually on Letterboxd Brandon is at Selman Scope and I am at Walker Lewis 3007 and you can keep up with what we've been watching in real time. We're watching a lot of movies. Not all of them make it onto the show, unfortunately. So you can go back and see if we've watched your favorites and what we rated it. Um, like I said at the top, we also have all our back episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms, mainly Spotify. So please do go and check it out and give us a follow, give us a like, take part in polls, all that good stuff. We'd much, much rather you do that than anything else. Um, I mean thank you so much everyone for being here and we hope to see you next Sunday for more Film Church but until then Brandon the only thing left to say is I feel so bad for what my darling to bring you back to a place where you have such sad memories about I'm really sorry I wanted to come I'm so grateful to you for bringing me this is such a lovely thing for us to be here together Amen. Amen. See you next Sunday. Bye-bye.